You are listening to Law and Gospel on this Monday, April the 8th in the year of our Lord, 2019. I'm Pastor Tom Baker, and this coming Sunday is known as Palm Sunday. It was somewhat surprising to me when I took a look that there is not a specific reading for Palm Sunday about Jesus going into Jerusalem. Instead, there's a very lengthy one, two chapters long in the Gospel of Luke, and that is because this is also referred to as the Passion of Our Lord. There are a lot of churches that simply do not have midweek Lenten services, so they don't really hear about the Passion of the Lord that often, and so this is what this Sunday is reserved for. There is another set of readings, though, for this Palm Sunday for the Gospel from John chapter 12 and beginning at verse 20. So we're going to take a look at them because there are some places in Scripture where Jesus really, how shall I say it, reveals the purpose of his coming and the reason for his work. And anyway, it begins with verse 20. Now, among those who went up to worship at the feast were some Greeks. Now, we assume that these were probably um, Greek-speaking Gentiles from a place like Decapolis. And they came to Philip, who was from Bethsaida in Galilee, and asked him, Sir, we wish to see Jesus. Obviously, they had heard a lot about him. Philip went and told Andrew. Andrew and Philip went and told Jesus. And Jesus answered them, The hour has come for the Son of Man to be glorified. So there's no doubt that Jesus is getting ready to be glorified upon the cross. And here's what he says. Verse 24. Truly, truly, I say to you, Unless a grain of wheat falls into the earth and dies, it remains alone. But if it dies, it bears much fruit. Now, what's Jesus talking about there? This is actually something that is often said at funerals. At funerals, yes. Because at times people are asking, with what kind of body will we be raised with? This is 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 35. And listen to verse 36. You foolish person, what you sow, now that would be a farmer sowing seed, is not the body that is to be, but a bare kernel, perhaps a wheat or of some other grain. And listen to the end of verse 36. What you sow does not come to life unless it dies. I guess we don't really consider seed when you put it into the ground that it dies. But what Jesus is referring to is that it loses its identity. And what is he talking about? He's talking about that he... As the seed of mankind, the light of the world, the life of the world, 
will be like a grain of wheat that is going to have to die. And it does not remain alone. But if it dies, it brings forth much fruit. Remember, the Bible talks about Jesus as being the first fruits of those who are risen from the dead. And the reason that we're able to be risen from the dead is because Jesus died on the cross to take away our sins, the punishment of our sins, the condemnation of our sins. In the words he himself says, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Verse 25, whoever loves his life loses it. And whoever hates his life in this world will keep it for eternal life. What is he talking about? Well, yesterday, as one of the Sundays in Lent, we had a reading from Philippians chapter 3, where Paul makes a really interesting point. He says, well, before I became a Christian, under the law, I was blameless. What is he talking about? That he was never sinning? Of course, when Paul, as a Pharisee, was talking about under the law, he was talking primarily about the ceremonial law. And he probably didn't break any of the ceremonial laws. He was tithing, he was fasting, etc., etc. Yes, he was blameless. But at the beginning of that, he says, well, you know, if you look at me from the point of view of the flesh rather than of the spirit, you're going to find something that I am really quite better than all of you. What was he talking about? Well, he gives a list of how he is better. Circumcised on the eighth day. I'm reading from Philippians 3, verse 4 and following. I myself have reason for confidence in the flesh, circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, as to the law, a Pharisee, as to zeal, a persecutor of the church, as to righteousness under the law, blameless. That's precisely what Jesus is referring to when he is talking about that whoever loves his life loses it. Paul loved his life under the flesh. And all of those good things, he says, he throws away. And there's a tremendous passage in Philippians 3 that he talks about that I was found in Jesus, and and this is verse 9, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law. In other words, from the outward obedience to the law, particularly the ceremonial laws. But that which comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God that depends on faith. You see, you're going to heaven if you are a Christian because you received righteousness from God. Uh, the way we often talk about it is how? The robe of, that's right, the robe of righteousness. It's mentioned a number of times in the Bible. This is Christ's righteousness 
that is transferred over to us. Why? Because through faith in him, we receive the benefits not only of his death, but also of his obedient life. So whoever loses, whoever loves his life loses it. If you want to look to God and say, hey, look it, I go to church every Sunday. I pray. I bring my children up. I'm a very good Christian. You may lose that life. Because if asked, why are you going to heaven? The answer shouldn't be a list of things that you're doing that sounds Christian, but because Jesus Christ died on the cross for your sins. It's not that you don't do these things. It just, uh, it's just that they have nothing to do with whether you're saved or not in the sense that they don't become the foundation for your salvation. The foundation of your salvation or the cornerstone is nothing less than Jesus Christ. And then he goes on, whoever hates his life in this world will keep it for eternal life. And that's what Paul did. He looked back at, oh, circumcised, being of the house of Benjamin, all these things, and he now despises them in thinking that by them he was saved. And therefore, he doesn't love his life. He hates his life in this world and instead looks to life from Jesus Christ. Verse 26, and we're in John chapter 12. If anyone serves me, he must follow me, and where I am, there will my servant be also. If anyone serves me, the Father will honor him. Now, what Jesus is talking about in serving, that he was ready to face death on behalf of even his enemies. So must also the disciples, no matter who they are or where they come from. There's no doubt that we also will face persecution and we follow Jesus into speaking the word of God properly and worshiping according to his guidelines. Now, verse 27, now is my soul troubled. This is Jesus still speaking. And what shall I say? Father, save me from this hour. But for this purpose, I have come to this hour. Father, glorify your name. And it says, then a voice came from heaven. I have glorified it, and I will glorify it again. Now, it's kind of interesting. I did a study on how many times does the Father speak in the Bible? Oh, you're well aware of this is my beloved son in whom I'm well pleased. Were you aware of this, that the voice from heaven, I have glorified it, I will glorify it again? Now, the crowd that stood there and heard it said that it had thundered, whereas others says an angel has spoken to him. It kind of reminds me of the road to Damascus experience that Saul had. Some people just thought it was thundering. Uh, others, was that a voice from heaven or whatever? When Jesus says, uh, it is me whom you are persecuting. Well, Jesus answers them. This voice 
has come for your sake, not mine. What does that mean? Jesus knew very well that the Father will be glorified by his death. But the people were not aware of that at all. Remember, all of the disciples fled in the Garden of Gethsemane. Except for John and the women at the graveside, there were none of them there. And even after the disciples on the road to Emmaus had heard about Jesus rising from the dead, they still didn't understand why he had to be crucified. And that's why he met with them and gave them a Bible study through the whole Old Testament where it gave the reasons for the necessity of the crucifixion. And that's why Jesus says, this voice has come for your sake, not mine. I already know this. You do not. Now is the judgment of this world. Now will the ruler of this world be cast out. Who's the ruler of the world? None other than Satan himself. And then he says, And I, when I am lifted up from the earth, will draw all people to myself. Now, John then goes ahead and explains why Jesus said that. When I am lifted up from the earth. John writes, verse 33, he said this to show by what kind of death he was going to die. Kind of reminds me of Psalm 22, pierced in hands and feet. When David wrote that, he was unaware of the crucifixion and hadn't been invented yet. But as we look back, oh yes, that's what he was talking about. And of course, when Jesus read it as a young boy, I'm sure he realized, yes, that's the reason for which I have come. I believe Jesus could have got most of what he said about his death and resurrection just from reading the Old Testament. I'm not denying that the Father could have spoken to him as Jesus spoke to Paul after he was converted. But I don't think it was necessary for him to hear a special dream, vision, or whatever from the Father in order to know these things. This is all in the Old Testament. So he said, I'm going to be lifted up to show what kind of death. Now, he's already said this in the Gospel of John. This is John chapter 12. Do you remember the verse that is referred to as the Gospel in a nutshell? That's John three sixteen. And that reads this way. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have eternal life. I want to read the two verses before that. It's verse 34. Jesus is still speaking. And as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so must the Son of Man be lifted up that whoever believes in him may have eternal life. So there Jesus is again speaking about 
that he's going to be lifted up from the earth and draw all people to himself. And John explains, he said that to show what kind of death he he was going to die. So the crowd answered him, we have heard from the law that the Christ remains forever. So they at least were aware, hopefully, that the Christ was God himself and that he would never die. And so they're trying to figure out, what does he mean that he's going to die on the cross? How can you say, they asked, that the Son of Man must be lifted up? Who is this Son of Man? So Jesus said to them, now, Son of Man is used in the Old Testament books to refer to Jesus. Probably one of the most famous passages is Daniel chapter 7. You have the Ancient of Days on the throne, and he sends the Son of Man to earth to redeem the people. I mean, who's going to argue that that is not Jesus Christ? Obviously, it is. And that's who the Son of Man is. So when they ask, who is this Son of Man? Jesus says to them, the light is among you for a little while longer. Well, Jesus himself says, I am the light of the world. In those days, of course, and even today, have you ever been in a room that is totally dark? When I first went to my second parish, they had a basement, and it was underground, and so it was no light coming in, especially at night, obviously. And I'd come in the back door, but the light switch was on the other side of the room. And I remember walking through the room, you could hardly see the tables and chairs, trying to find the other light switch. Uh, fortunately, one of our elders, Carl Meineke, was a electrician, and he came in and put a light switch on the other side of the room, so I had one on both. So as soon as I walked in, that's the first thing I did. I turned on the light. But being in darkness is not a very good experience. Jesus takes us out of the darkness of unbelief. The darkness in the Bible is always the kingdom of Satan. And Jesus is the light among you, but only for a little while longer. Remember, even after his resurrection, he just stays for 40 days, and then he ascends into heaven. Walk, he says, while you have the light, lest darkness overtakes you. And then he explains the difference. The one who walks in the darkness does not know where he is going. And that was my experience in that basement of that church. When I first went in, well, after a while, after I was there, about a month or so, I could pretty well feel my way over until I was able to turn a light on on the other end of the room. But it took a while. Have you ever been into a dark cave and they turn off all the lights? You cannot see anything. You have no idea where you're walking. So the one who walks in darkness does not know where he is going. That is a great summary of every other religion in the world outside of Christianity. People think they know where they are going. They're going to be saved. 
their God is going to bring them salvation because of their many good works. No, they don't know where they are going. They are like Paul, I mentioned in Philippians 3, who thinks, boy, under the law, I was absolutely blameless. I was obeying all those ceremonial laws, and he probably did. It's not hard to obey the ceremonial laws. And, of course, the Pharisees didn't agree with Jesus that the moral laws could be broken by thought and word as well as deed. Now, that was the Sermon on the Mount. So Jesus continues in verse 36. While you have the light, believe in the light that you may become sons of light. Now, how do we become sons of light? Through faith. Remember, it says not obey the light, but believe in the light. And faith means trusting the promises of the Messiah, that you may become sons of light by adoption. Now, when Jesus had said these things, he departed from them and hid himself from them. Verse 37. Now, listen to this. Though he had done so many signs before them, they still did not believe in him. It reminds me, one of the things I'm doing in driving around to the churches I put on about a 1,000 miles a week right now is I'm listening to the Bible on CDs. And it was kind of interesting how many plagues God sent to Egypt and Pharaoh still did not let his people go. So just because you see miracles doesn't mean that that is God behind it. In fact, in some of the plagues, I think the first three, the magicians of Pharaoh were able to do the same kinds of things, like turning water into blood and frogs coming out of the water. And I, I found that interesting, rema- reminding myself of that as I listened. So you you can see these miracles and still not believe in him. And that was so that the word spoken by the prophet Isaiah might be fulfilled. In verse 38, Lord, who has believed what he heard from us, and to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? Therefore they could not believe, because Isaiah has says, he has blinded their eyes and hardened their heart, lest they see with their eyes and understand with their heart, and turned, and I would heal them. That's what he did with Pharaoh. He hardened his heart. And the reason for that is to show even more glory of the Lord. Verse 41, Isaiah said these things because he saw his glory and spoke of him. Nevertheless, many even of the authorities did believe in him. But for fear of the Pharisees, they did not confess it so that they would not be put out of the synagogue. Remember, in that one passage, I think it's John chapter 9, where the man who is blind since birth is healed, he's cast out of the synagogue when he confesses Christ. So these people, some of them did believe in Jesus. Look at He must be the Messiah. Look at all the things that he's doing. But why wouldn't they confess him? 
they feared the Pharisees who could remove them from the synagogue. And verse 43 really shows the reason for all sin. For they loved the glory that comes from man more than the glory that comes from God. I say that often when I talk about that all sin is based on self-interest. You may even do a good work in the eyes of human beings, but you do it out of self-interest, not out of love for God. And so therefore, they refused to confess Christ, even though they believed he is the Messiah, for fear of the ruling authorities. Tremendous passage. Jesus explaining the purpose for which he came. You know, there are a number of hymns that can be sung by other religions. And we're going to give an example of that tomorrow. But then there are some hymns that only can be sung by Christians. So on the next Law and Gospel, I, Tom Baker, with the help of Mark Smith, are going to deal with one of those hymns. And that's on the next Law and Gospel. God bless. Listen to Law & Gospel each weekday morning at 9.30 on KFUO. For a tax-deductible gift to Law & Gospel, please make your check payable to Concordia Mission Society and mail it to Tom Baker, P.O. Box 28910, St. Louis, Missouri 63132. To give online, visit lawandgospel101.com or call toll-free 1-877-267-1962. Views and opinions expressed on Worldwide KFUO may not represent the official position of the management or ownership of KFUO, the Lutheran Church, Missouri Synod. If you'd like to comment on programs or topics heard on Worldwide KFUO, write us at KFUO, 1333 South Kirkwood Road, St. Louis, Missouri, 63122. You can also leave a question or comment on our comment line at 314-996-1542. We are the messenger of good news, Worldwide KFUO.